These guys spent their whole life praying. But there was something different about the way that Jesus prayed. And they said, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And so we've been looking at, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's a prayer that Jesus, uh, you know, gave as a structure uh, for his followers to, to follow. Uh, this is a framework. This is not uh, necessarily something that um, is supposed to be repeated. And, and maybe you grew up in that, um, that kind of tradition where you repeated that prayer. You could, if you don't attend church very much, you probably are familiar when I say the Lord's Prayer. You're probably familiar with how that prayer goes. And so we've been just looking at you know, the framework that Jesus gave for that prayer. And so where we're going to pick it up, is, is this in the prayer. And I'm not going to spend really a lot of time on this because um, if you were here uh, a few weeks ago, and if you, even if you weren't, you can go back and listen to this message uh, that I talked about worry. Uh, does anybody worry? Anybody? Oh, okay. All right. So good. You should listen to it. Um, it's a message about worry. And so he, Jesus addresses worry, and, and he talks about in the Lord's Prayer, he gives this, this principle. In verse 3, look what it says. Um, it says, give us each day our daily bread. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. So this idea is, is simply Jesus saying, listen, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. He, he describes our worries and packages them in, in tomorrow, into the future, which is oftentimes what our worries are about, right? They're about our, what our situation is coming, what's going to what's happen in the future. He says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow because what God wants you to focus in on is what God can give to you today. That God wants you to focus in on what God wants to do for you today. He doesn't want you to worry about, you know, tomorrow. You know, he, he doesn't want you to, you know, you know smuggle your troubles, for, uh, you know, tomorrow into today. He doesn't want you to do that. You know, he wants you to trust him for today. And so in the prayer, Jesus said, hey, listen, you pray to God, give us each day our daily bread. In other words, God, I'm going to just trust you for today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm, when tomorrow comes, then I'm going to trust you for that day. But for this day... For this day, I'm going to trust you that you're going to provide what you can only provide for this day. Got it? That's what you should pray. Okay, we'll move on. And then he says, verse 4, And forgive us our sins, um, for, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so this principle is this. Again, not a lot of time, but this principle is this. If you're forgiven, you should forgive. If you're forgiven, you should forgive. If you put your trust, if you're a Christian, you put your trust in, in, the, in the work of Jesus and you realize what he has forgiven you, he has forgiven you for all of your sins, that if you know that you're forgiven, that we should be a people. Again, these rules only apply for Christians, but I'm they'll, they'll make your life better if you apply them. He says, if you know that you're forgiven, you should forgive. You should forgive. Got it? Let's move on. Okay, we're moving through this pretty quick, right? Right. All right. So here's where we're going to spend most of the time today. Most of the time today, he says, "And lead us not into temptation, and lead us not into temptation." Matthew wrote it this way in Matthew chapter number six and verse thirteen. Matthew says it this way. He says, "And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil." But deliver us from evil. 
And so here Jesus is teaching this prayer and he's teaching us how to pray and he's telling us, listen, listen, when you pray, when you pray, you should pray that you're not led into temptation, but you're delivered from it. You should pray that you're not led into it, but that you're delivered from, from it. And we'll talk about here in a minute what that means. The Apostle Paul, have you ever heard of the Apostle Paul before? Okay, the Apostle Paul was this extraordinary man of faith. This guy was once a hater of Christians. So if you hate Christians, you know, he hated Christians, you know, even more than you do. This guy hated Christians. He hated people that were followers of Jesus. And then he met Jesus. Then he had an experience with Jesus, and it changed his life forever. I mean, he did a 180 in his life. I mean, he changed, and he was so, as, as, as ambitious, as zealous he was to end the church of Jesus, he was just as zealous and just as ambitious to help build the church of Jesus. And, and he did. I mean, in, in your New Testament Bible, he wrote the majority of our New Testament, which were just letters to churches that he started. So he would travel around the Mediterranean Rim and he would witness and share the good news of Jesus to people and people would put their faith in Jesus and that's where the church began. And they wouldn't have buildings because church isn't a building, you know that, right? Church is not a building, church is a people. And so we, you can have church wherever, you know, you can have church as long as there's people of God that are gathered together, that's called the church. And so Paul would start all of these different churches around the Mediterranean Rim and write these letters to them, you know, throughout his, his ministry before he, was, before he was beheaded for what he believed. So talk about a guy who went from hating Christians to now being a Christian, building the church, and being willing to die for his faith. Now, here's what Paul wrote to one of the churches. And I wonder if you can relate to this when it comes to temptation and when it comes to the battle that we have internally. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, and I'll describe what the flesh is in a second. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Then look what he says, verse 19. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. Verse 20. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Can anybody relate to this? Like, I, Paul's going, he wrote to this church in Rome that he started, he's going, man, I just, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I always can't, I can't always get it right. I know what I'm supposed to do, but sometimes I just don't do it. I know what's right and I know what will, you know, what will, you know, allow me to have a better life and a better quality life, but I just can't seem to get it right. Can anybody relate? Come on, it's just us in here. Can anybody relate? I mean, this is a guy that, the, this guy was an incredible Christian. He was like, he was like in our, he's probably like in our top five of Christian, all-time greatest Christians, like if there was a list, he's in our top five. Like, this guy was amazing, yet he said the things that I wonder if sometimes we think. 
And he was so bold to write it in a letter to the church in Rome and was honest. Boy, boy isn't that something but that Christians should just get honest? What a concept. What a concept. Like, we should just, like, get honest that we're not perfect. I'm sorry. You're already exposed. You're not perfect, okay? If you come across a Christian and you're not a Christian and they act like they're perfect, I'm sorry. They're not, okay? They're not. They don't have it together. They don't always do what they're supposed to do. They're not always the kind of people that they're supposed to be. Guess what? Sometimes they're hypocrites, Sorry for exposing you right now, Christian, but that's just the reality. And so Paul, if Paul could admit it, shouldn't we? So this is the feeling that he has, right? He's going, ah, man, I just don't know. I'm not. So he describes this feeling that we have. He calls it the flesh. He calls it the flesh. Now, the Bible gives us dozens and dozens and dozens of examples of what the flesh is. What does he mean by the flesh? Like this flesh, this, this, this thing that is causing me or, or I know that I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do what's right, but I'm, but I'm always not. What, what is that thing? What is that thing called the flesh? Well, the Bible gives us a dozen or more, probably 30 things that what the flesh looks like. I'm gonna give you 12 and see if any of these are you, okay? Let's see if any of these are you. All right, here, here they are. The flesh has, and I wrote, the flesh has many names, okay? The flesh has many names. Anger, outburst, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, <laughs> arrogance, being boastful, contentious, disobedient to parents. Looking at the kids section. Drunkenness, a gossip. Greedy, impure, or sexually immoral, jealous, ungrateful, unloving. Now, this is a dozen out of 30 more that the Bible references of what is considered to be the flesh. Okay, This is something that we battle with. Now, I got news for you, and you probably already know this, so let's just, we're just being honest right now. When you allow these things into your life, when you entertain these things, they are undefeated. They are undefeated. If we're thinking about it in softball team terms, they won the championship every time if you allow them to work in your life. Am I right? I mean, maybe yours is, maybe you're not all 12. Maybe you're a one or, or two or three. And, you know, I don't know if I want to admit that, but Paul did. Paul says, man, I, I struggle. I'm battling. I'm working through these things. So you're not alone, okay? Isn't that good news? Like, if you think about Paul, you're not alone. As a matter of fact, the people that were closest to Jesus they had these things too. They had these battles. The people that spent time with Jesus, they had these things called the flesh. And they looked like these things. And when they allowed them to enter into their life and they entertained these things, they were undefeated. They were undefeated. So what, is it, what can we learn from, from that? Well, in Matthew 26, this is towards the end of Jesus's Ministry. This is towards the end of Jesus' life before he's going to be taken and then ultimately crucified and then 
conquer death, rise from the grave. And I don't mean to say that lightly, but you know what I mean. And so he has now in the garden, it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. This was probably a place where Jesus would often retreat to. He probably knew the owner of this garden, and the owner of this garden would allow Jesus to go in there and spend some time there. Well, this, when Jesus was there, Jesus brought with him his disciples. And like I said, this is right before he's getting going to be arrested and, and crucified. And it says in verse 36, in Matthew 26, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while, while I go over there and pray. Verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is uh, James and John, and began to be grieved and distressed. Verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved. To the point of death. Now, this is how he's feeling, right? I mean, he's like distressed. These are the words, this is the word that he's using. He's deeply grieved, so, uh, you know, grief stricken to the point of death. And he was so grief stricken that it tells us then Luke's account of this, 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 this scene that he was sweating blood. He was sweating blood. It was, it was to that point of, of, of anxiety. Not because, this is, this is important, not because he was afraid to die, but be, because he knew he could feel the weight of the sin that was going to be on him. He knew the weight and the, and the vileness of sin of all humanity, past, present, future that was going to be placed on him on the cross that caused him to be deeply grieved deeply grieved to the point of death where he was near death even at that point because of his grief and he says to them remain here so he's talking to his disciples remain here and keep watch with me okay in other words remain here i want you to keep watch and I want you to make sure that we're not disturbed. So make sure nobody comes in while we're praying. Keep watch so that we're not disturbed. So verse 39. And, went, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, so now he's praying. And he's saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. You say, what's the cup? Well, the cup is what I just described. The the the, the sin, the weight of sin that was going to be placed on him, the responsibility that he was going to be ha that he had of all of our brokenness and all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our transgressions against a holy God would be placed on him. This is what was described as the cup. And he, Jesus is now praying to his father saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says this, which is, I think, the most critical statement that he made and the most critical statement that you can make in your life right here. He says it this way. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Father, life is about this. Life is a choice that I make. 
I either make my life about me and what I will and what I want to do and what I think is best, or I make my life about your will, your plan, and your agenda, but that choice is yours. That choice is yours. That choice is for you to decide whether you want to do it your way or whether you want to do it his way. And I want you to see this. I want you to see that Jesus himself reached this crossroads in his life. Jesus himself was praying to his father, Father, if there be another way, let this cup pass for me. But then he came to the realization that life is just better when I follow the will of the Father. That life is better when I, life is more fulfilling when I follow the will of my heavenly Father. And I don't make it about me, but instead I make it about God in my life. This is critical for every single one of us. And look what happens. Deeply grieved, beyond, to the point of death, praying to God that he would take this cup from him. But look what happens. Look, look what happens. This is typical of us. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. sleeping. <laughs> okay, I'm the only one that found that funny. Like, come on, see the scene, get the picture. Like, they're like, he's like agonizing. God, take this cup from me, what I'm going to endure, what I'm going to go through, what I'm going to feel, what I'm going to experience. God, take this cup from me. I'm so grieved. I'm sweating blood. I wonder how my disciples are doing. Oh, they're sawing logs right now. <laughs> Just sleeping away. And he said to Peter, I don't know why he picked out Peter. Maybe, maybe if we have time, I'll tell you why. But he says to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Like, guys, like all I want you to do is just be awake and keep watch for one hour. Now, why didn't he say, hey, guys, why weren't you praying Guys, why weren't you, you couldn't pray for one hour? I, I was just curious, like, why did he say it that way? Why, why, why did he say it that way? Well, look what he says in the next verse. Keep watching. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Isn't that interesting? He says, hey, guys, 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 listen. You couldn't keep watch for one hour Guys, you need to understand something. You need to keep watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why, Jesus? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you know what's going to help us? Win the battle over the flesh is when we keep watch and pray. What's gonna help us win the battle over those 12 things, which by the way, let me just remind you, if you let those things into your life, they're gonna rule you. The things that you think that you have under control, they are gonna control you if they are not all ready. So he's saying, listen, 
You need to keep watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. And because the spirit is willing. Guys, we know this. Paul knew this. The spirit was willing, but the flesh is so weak. That word, that phrase, those two words, keep watch or keep watching. Here's what they mean. They mean this. Be on alert. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Be on alert, be on guard, or be vigilant. So here's what Jesus is. It's like this, this military phrase, okay? It's the idea of somebody that has um, a post. And if you think back to these times, there was a, the city and there was a wall that surrounded the city. And there was people that were on post at each corner of the wall. And you know what they were doing? They were keeping watch. They were looking out. And you know what they were looking for? You know what they did in shifts? They were looking for the enemy coming their way. That's what they were doing. So Jesus is using this phrase, keep watch, be on alert, be on guard, be vigilant. For what purpose? So that you can see temptation, so that you can see the enemy, so that you can see the flesh rising up in you and you're ready. For it. You know what Jesus was praying? Now, I, I, I've heard this as a kid, and maybe you teach this to your kids, and that's fine to do, and there's a reason for it. But you know what Jesus is teaching us to pray like, in this way? Here's what he's telling us to pray. Now, he says, listen, pray with your heads up and your eyes open. Now, isn't that contrary to what you've been taught as a kid? Like when you teach your kids to pray, or you're, you're like, now, it's bow your head, close your eyes. You're talking to the Lord, you know, and, you're, and you teach your kids. That's a good thing because it eliminates distraction, right? But Jesus is saying, hey, when we pray, especially for those who are really battling with this thing called the flesh, especially for those who see danger coming into their life, he's saying, listen, you should pray with your head up and your eyes open. You should pray with your head up and your eyes open. Why? So that you can be ready, just like those guards that were positioned on that wall, so that they're ready to, to when they see the enemy coming their way. And you know what those guards did? They ran back and told their commanding officer of what was coming so that the commanding officer can rally the troops to fight against it. They did not, they did not run out to them and fight them alone. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Can you imagine if these guards on the wall ran out to fight against, you know, a massive army, just them versus, who knows, hundreds of thousands of, of soldiers, their enemies? It would be absurd. That's not what they did. You know what they did? They retreated back. They ran back. They ran back and told the commanding officer. It's, it's like this. I, I was, um, before I was in church world, I did landscaping. I did lawn maintenance. That's what I did. So it was either being a pastor or work, or cut grass. So um, I chose to be a pastor. And so, um, <laughs> and so we would go to house to house, apartment to apartment, condos, whatever it was. You know, whoever, whatever there was grass, we were called to go and cut it. Tough job. And so I was 
cutting some grass, and I was on this lawnmower, and at that time, it was called a button. I don't know what they have nowadays, but this thing was sweet, man. Like, this thing was like, you could fly. I mean, you could just move, haul on these, on these lawnmowers and, and, just, and just go as fast as you, you want. It was, they, were, they were awesome. So I'm cut, I'm, we're at a house, and we're cutting the grass, and I'm just kind of minding my own business. I probably have my, my headphones on, my Walkman, you know, and uh, anybody remember Walkman? All right, I had my, my Pearl Jam 10, you know, disc in there, or tape in there, I should say. Anybody know Pearl Jam? Okay, I shouldn't have said that. All right, so I'm probably, this is, this, none of this is important to the story, but this is what's happening. And so I'm like cutting grass, going back and forth, and all of a sudden, my buddy who's working with me, he's on the, the weed whip or the weed whacker. You guys know what I'm talking about, this, this instrument? Okay. And he's weed whacking the yard too. And before I know it, as I'm kind of going back and forth in the, in, the, in the lawnmower, I see him just hauling tail. Like he's sprinting. He doesn't have the weed whack anymore. And he's just hauling tail. What happened was, is that he was near me and I ran over a bee's hive in the ground. <laughs> and they thought it was him. And they just swarmed him, and he just ran. And I'm like laughing at him as he's running from these bees trying to get out of the way. And finally, I realized that they're now, they now haven't caught up to him, and they're now going to come after me. And I turned that button, you know, and I'm just off. I'm out of there. I ripped up the grass, and they called and fired us. But, but none of that is. And I had explained to them it was because of a swarm of bees. Listen, listen. You don't fight bees. You'll lose. Run. This is what it this is what it looks like when it comes to the flesh and temptation. You know what the Bible teaches about how to win over this thing called the flesh and over temptation in your life? It doesn't tell you to fight it. It's undefeated. It will take you down. Run. Run. And Jesus said, I want you to pray. I want you to pray with your head up and your eyes open. And I want you to run and flee out of a situation that is going to eventually Control your life and take you down. That's what I want you to do. You say, ah, oh, you got one verse. No, there's a couple verses. Paul wrote Ephesians 6:18. Look what he says. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. He says this in Colossians as he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae. He says, hey, devote yourself to prayer. What does he say? Keep alert, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the guy who was commissioned by God to go and build, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. 
And Nehemiah assembles the, uh, the workers to, to rebuild the wall. And it says in Nehemiah 4.2, we don't have this verse, but you can look it up later. He says in Nehemiah 4.2 that, that we were praying and we were keeping watch. We were praying and we were keeping watch. What does that mean? That means that Nehemiah was praying to God, but they were also keeping watch of opposition coming their way that wanted to stop them from building that wall. Listen to me. Anytime you choose to go in the direction of your father and choose your father's will, you need to know something, that temptation is coming your way. Anytime you decide that you're gonna live for God and do what God wants you to do, which by the way, is the best way, you need to know something. The enemy is gonna try to stop you. And the best thing that you can do is find a situation where you get out of that temptation. That's the only chance you have but you gotta be vigilant you gotta be alert and you know what the good news is jesus said or excuse me the hebrew writer says this he says this in, in hebrews verse 13 he says this no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man and god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Pause, pause, pause. This is where people get confused. God doesn't say that he's not gonna give you more than you can handle. He's, he doesn't say he's not gonna give you more than you can handle. I hear people say that all the time. God says he's not gonna give me more than I can handle. Oh, I feel like I'm getting more than I can handle right now. I thought God's, God never said that he's not gonna give you more than you can handle. God said that he will not allow you to experience or go through temptation beyond, temptation beyond what you are able. Temptation. But with, he says this, verse 14, but with the temp, or verse 13, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. He's gonna give you, why? It doesn't say, and he's gonna strengthen you so that you can fight against it. It doesn't say that. He says when temptation comes, he's gonna provide an escape. And it's gonna be a lot easier than those escape rooms. Anybody ever do those escape rooms? I did an escape room with a bunch of teenagers and we got to the very end of our time and we finally got a door open and we thought it was over, but we were only halfway through. Remember that? <laughs> like so discouraging. And we were dummies. And so I was, not you guys. Um, this is gonna be so much easier that God is gonna provide. He says, he says listen, when you see, because you're praying with your head up and your eyes open. And when you see temptation coming, he's going to say, I'm, God promises you that he's going to provide an escape for you, which means he's going to provide a way for you to get out. So that, and the only way you can endure it is if he provides an escape and you take that escape door and you get out of there. Because the flesh, did I tell you this already? The flesh is undefeated. The only way to endure temptation is ex to escape from it. The only way to endure temptation is to escape from it. And that's why Jesus prays, tells us to pray in this way. And lead us, do not lead us into temptation. He's, he's, the, the prayer is, Father, don't lead us into temptation, but what? Deliver us from it. 
you try to battle your flesh, you will lose. I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you truth. What you and I need to pray is that our Heavenly Father will not lead us into temptation, but He will, and He promises He will, He will provide a way for you to escape it so that you can be delivered from it. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. You throw that verse up for me, will you? Matthew 26, 40. I saw, here's the challenge. So he's talking to Peter, and by the way, Peter, boy, if he would have just spent time keeping watch and praying, you know what would have, he would have probably been able to avoid? The temptation to deny Jesus three times. If he wasn't sleeping, and he was keeping watch and praying, and he was vigilant, and he was in, in alert, he would have probably not have denied his Lord three times. Are you with me? Quit sleeping. I don't mean right now. Sort of. But keep watch. Stop sleeping. Keep watch. Stop sleeping through your circumstances. By the way, you're trying to do the will of God. The enemy's coming. Temptation's coming. The flesh is going to rise up. Stop sleeping. Keep watch. Pray. He'll give you a way of escape. He'll deliver you from it. That's what he will do. So, and then I love the question. You couldn't keep watch for more than one hour? Come on, church. Let's do this, all right? We're going to do the keep watch for one hour challenge. You ready? We're going to do the keep watch for one hour challenge. Why, 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 why? Why are we going to do the keep watch for one hour challenge? All right, I don't know how long you're going to do this challenge for. Do it for a week. I don't care. Seven days, just seven days. All right, let's just do that. Keep watch for one hour challenge for seven days. Here's why. So that you can escape for one hour to endure temptation's power. So you can escape for one hour to endure temptation's power. So here's, here's, here's what I want to tell you to do. When you sense, because you're keeping watch now, your, your head is up, your eyes are open, you see the flesh rising up, you see temptation coming your way, you're praying, God, don't lead me into that temptation because I'll lose, God knows it, but God will say, I'm providing an escape for you, I'm providing a way to deliver you out of it. And he will, he will. So whenever you sense, whatever it is for you, I, I have no idea. Maybe it's a situation at work where you're getting involved with some colleagues that you know that just isn't right. It's not, you know, moral. It's, there's some integrity issues. They're, you know, they're, 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 they're hurting your character. They're hurting your testimony if you're a Christian. He's going to provide an escape for you. Take that. Take that. And, and stay away for one hour. I don't know how, I don't know what that looks, but I'm telling you, for one hour, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're like, you're just on these social media rants sometimes, you know, like, everything's a problem, and so-and-so did this to you, and if you're, if you're tempted, you know, to cause, you know, dissension, if you're tempted to be a little contentious, 
Maybe you should, for one hour, not be on social media. I know, this is challenging. This is why it's called a challenge. Like, maybe you just don't do that. And give God that time, that one-hour time frame, where you would normally be on that, and you're not going to do that. Maybe it's just not having that drink or going to that bar because you just know that it's now got a stronghold in your life. They all look different. But I want you to keep watch. And instead of indulging in something, you're going to give yourself separation. Maybe you need to go for a drive. Maybe you need to go for a walk. Maybe you need to go for a run. Or maybe you need to go for a bike ride. Whatever it takes for you to get out of a temptation. To put down that tablet or that phone when it's normally tempting you and to go and do something else for an hour. Allow yourself to choose to do the Father's will and to do it for an hour without doing the thing that you would normally indulge in. I can't point out yours. I know what mine is. I know what mine are because I got more than one. But I can't. But I, I know this. I can take that time for one hour and I can use it to, for something else especially in my prayer time. Can't you? For one week, keep watch for one hour. You're escaping for one hour so that you can endure temptation's power. Sound good? Okay. Let's stand. Brent's going to lead us in a song. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for the word. I pray, Lord, that this idea of temptation and the battles that we face, the same battles that a guy like Paul, who we seem to think had it all together, still was honest enough to say that he works through this thing called the flesh. And he looks for you to give him an escape so that he can endure it. And our prayers are not going to be, Lord, give us more strength so that we can win over the battle of our temptations, but to give us, but to deliver us from it. That's our prayer. And that's different, maybe, than what we normally have prayed. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. Thank you for our guests that are here today. I'm honored to have you. In Jesus' name.